Well, good morning, friends. If you will, go ahead, grab a seat, grab your Bibles, and join me in the book of Genesis chapter 1. We'll be in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 today. Hey, um, first off, Howdy, I'm Josh, one of the ministers. Welcome to Clear Creek. So glad that you're with us today. You've joined on a really good Sunday because we are in part two of what's going to be a pretty long teaching called Field Guide to the Bible. And this is just one big sort of huge overview of the entire Bible, looking at the major chunks, because our goal as a church is not simply to teach the Bible, but to equip you to study the Bible on your own and share it with others yourself. So that's what we're going to be doing. So here's what I need to do. Um, We have these field guide binders that we began handing out last week. If you brought your binder, would you please just hold it up real high? Oh man, fantastic, fantastic, fantastic. Okay, if this is your first Sunday during the series and you didn't get a binder and you would like a binder, raise your hand real high. We have people. Now, if you didn't remember your binder, hang on, hang on. But if you didn't have one, go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, I saw some hands right there, some others over here. So please keep them up. We'd love to give you a binder. Every month, we're going to give to you that month's content. So you'll have sermon notes, you'll have group guides, you'll have a daily reading plan. There's a glossary of terms. In fact, Phil, if you will, just kind of put that slide up about the binder. We also, it has, um, you know, maps in there. It has some other stuff as well. So um, love for you to do that. Also, also we have some Bibles for you as well. So we want you to follow along with us. If you do not have a Bible with you, You're welcome to raise your hand. And again, our ushers would love to bring you a Bible. So if you do not have a physical Bible with you and would like to read along, just raise your hand. The page numbers from where I'll be reading from will be on the screen so you can follow along. And if you do not own a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to give you one of these and you may even take it home as your own because our goal is that you would know Jesus and know him well. And we believe the first and foremost place is in the scriptures where he reveals himself to us. Okay, we good? So, hey, just out of curiosity, um, would you just raise your hand if you were one of those who said, yes, I would pray to God that it snows tomorrow. If you've said that, would you raise your hand, snow people? Let me see, look around. Oh my goodness, look at all of our snow bunnies. Oh, here's what's funny is it's not just little kids. I see like parents who are like, yeah, I'm gonna build me a snowman. I'm gonna go on a sled. It's gonna be great. How many of you said no snow tomorrow? Let's see those hands real fast. Okay, so here's what's going to be fun. We're going to find out who God listens to most. Like when you pray tonight, oh Lord, let it snow. Or oh Lord, please don't let it snow. I'm looking forward to seeing who he listens to tomorrow morning when I see the weather. So it'll be fun. Here's the big idea today. If you don't hear anything else, when we read the story of the creation of the world, here's the big idea. Are you ready? You are not an accident. You are not an accident. We're going to read select texts from Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 where God begins to design the home in which he will live and invite us to live with him. And the one thing out of all the things we could see, because there's a lot of things in the text that we could find, we could talk about God's creative genius. We could talk about the evidences for creative design. We could talk about the ordering of things. We could talk about so many things, but the one thing I pray you never miss is that you are not an accident. This is what we see replete through the pages of scripture. Now the sermon notes, if you want to follow along, are on page 12 in your binder, page 12, if you'll join me there. And then once you get there, I invite you to open your Bibles 
And I'd like for you to see with me the words of sacred text as to who you are and why you are here, that you are not an accident. If you will, let's stand together as we read God's word together this morning. This will be Genesis chapter 1 on page 1 and Genesis chapter 2 on page 2. And we're going to jump through this very quickly, but beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's just a Hebraic phrase for saying he made it all. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's a phrase that we will come back to in future weeks. So put a little mental marker there. Verse 3, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. Now, we don't have time to read the entire chapter, but what we're going to see is this begins a rhythm because this is an ancient Hebrew poem, chapter 1. Now, it speaks to the very real creation that God made everything, but it does so in this beautiful Hebraic sort of way. And we know this because of the rhythm and the repetition. Do you notice he'll repeatedly say, and God said, and then there was, and God said, and then there was, and then it'll say things like, and God separated these two things and it happened. And then God separated these two things and it happened. And then it'll say things like, and then there was evening and morning, the first day, evening and morning, second day, evening and morning, third day. And we get this repetition that God is organizing his house. And then we jump down to verse 26, where God says, I'm going to make something very specific and special. Out of all my creation, it says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in the likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then jump with me now to chapter 2, verse 4. And one of the things, if you read your Bible, that may sound strange to you is it sounds like God is repeating himself. Chapter 1 gives the whole story, then chapter 2, it's like he's saying it again. But as some people have pointed out, chapter 1 is like the entry scene to a movie where it's a big, wide screen panoramic shot of what's happening. And chapter 2, he says, now let me zoom in on one specific detail. Verse 4 of chapter 2 says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth. When they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And then jump with me now down to verse 7 where it says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Verse 8, Now the Lord God had planted planted a garden in the east, in Eden. And there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, final jump, come with me to verse 17. The Lord God took that man that he created and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And if we kept reading, it would go on to speak of God's beautiful moment of creation where he created woman, the first man and the first woman, perfect compliments to one another. And this is simply to once again reflect that in all that God has made, you are not an accident. Let's pray together. We've been told, Father, that we are the result of cosmic chance, a mere accident. 
So please speak to us this morning through the text and remind us that we are made on purpose for a purpose. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So let's just set the table for a moment here. The scene opens, the curtain rises, and God steps onto the scene. As we said last week, the one about whom this whole story centers is God. He is the centerpiece, not you, not me. Now, we were made on purpose, but God is the source of life. He's the focus of life. He's the one who creates all things. And so we come to that beautiful graph that we looked at last week. You know, the the weird check mark graph. If you don't mind, put that up on screen. And it begins, if you're taking notes... The first period is creation. We are now entering the period of creation. And the the space that everything begins to circle in on is this unique little spot in creation. It's the Garden of Eden. That word Eden means delight. It was a beautiful place, perfectly designed for a particular kind of person, for a particular kind of person with a particular kind of purpose. And God begins to form all things. He gets the nursery, if you will, ready. Like when you're about ready to bring home that new child, you get the nursery ready. You put something up on the wall. You create things for them, the bed. Everything is set, and that's what God is doing. So God creates plants and animals. God creates stars and galaxies. By the way, in a couple weeks, we're going to talk about why the stars are so important. Hang with me. We'll get to that. But God is putting everything in place. And then when God says, okay, what do, I, what do I put in the center of it all? Do you want to know what he makes? Images. Yeah, images. That's what the text says in chapter 1, verse 26. Did you notice it? God makes this incredible statement. He begins to create all these things. And then he says, I'm going to create images. Right there, verse 26. Let us make mankind in our, what's that word, Church. Image, image. One of the first reasons that this text tells us that you are not an accident is because you were made in the image of God. Now, I know we've heard this so often. I think for some of us, we hear things so often that it no longer lands with the same punch that it once did. I remember the first time my wife told me that she loved me. I've told you this before. I'm not the sharpest tool in the drawer. I'm not the brightest bulb. And so my wife and I were in college. We'd been dating for a while and we were sitting and visiting with each other, and she was a French major, which, by the way, French is a beautiful language. She begins to explain certain words. She's like, this is what this means. So she'd say a word and then say, I'd say, what did that mean? She'd tell me. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. Then she'd give me another word. I'd say, what does that mean? She'd go, it means this. I'm like, oh, that's awesome. And then she finally said this one word, je t'aime. And then she added the second one, mon ami. I was like, what does that mean? And she goes, it means, and she paused, because you could tell this was a big moment. She paused, she goes, it means, I love you. And I was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> really, I mean, that was like the moment, guys. By the way, younger men, if a girl says, I love you, unless you want her to exit stage right, like post-haste, the response, thank you, is not cool. The second worst one is Han Solo's when Leia says, I love you. And he says, what, gentlemen? I know. See, we know that you don't do this. Okay, so the story begins where God makes everything, and we've heard that he makes us in his image, and we're like, oh, we've heard that so many times. See, my wife can now say I love you, and it means something, but it's not the same as that first moment when she said it. Now, now here's the problem. I don't hear it the same way, but it means the same thing as it did the moment she said it. Do you get me? Just because my 
perception has changed because I've gotten so accustomed to what she says. I now don't think of it in the same level as I once did does not change the meaning behind the sentence. Hear me now when it says you are made in the image of God. This is a mind blowing statement. Let me tell you why. That word image is the Greek word selim. Everyone say selim. Now selim is a very interesting word. It means um, like a statue, an image, an icon. In the ancient world, people were ruled by kings or monarchs. And in most cases, those kings or monarchs believed that they were gods or in the image of a god. They were the selim of God, but not the commoner. And the king would be the one responsible for choosing what was good and what was evil for their subjects, what was right, what was wrong, how they should live, how they should not live. But the problem was, is because people did not live in a culture where they had mass media, where they could see what the king was saying. They rarely, if ever, actually saw the king in their lifetime, unless they were summoned to where the king lived or saw the king pass by. They didn't know what the king looked like. They only heard what he said through an intermediary. And so what the kings began to do is they would set up these statues called selims. They were little carved images of the king that they would put around the kingdom so that wherever you were, you could see an image of what that king was like. When God said, I will create humanity, you in my image, he said, I'm going to carve out little images of myself and I'm going to post you all over creation so that if anyone wonders what is God like, they can look at you and go, I think I have a little picture of what God looks like. In, in other words, if someone only ever sees you or me, what kind of image of God will they see? Will they know the God of the Bible who loves and is gracious and forgiving, who holds to what is right, who is just and merciful, who is holy? Or will they see the warped image that so many of us see in our culture. So when God says you are not an accident, he has created you and me on purpose to be an image bearer. In fact, you've seen others' stories with images in it. For instance, uh, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember this one? Um, They are thrown into the what? Do you remember? Fiery furnace, absolutely. Why were they thrown into the fiery furnace? Because there's this king with a big head. His name is King Nebuchadnezzar. And he has a 90 foot tall Selim of himself that he wants people to bow down to. And when they don't, he gets mad and he throws them into the fiery furnace. And so when God looks at us, he says, this is what I am making you for. You are made on purpose, by purpose for me, to reflect me in all things. And then there's this beautiful thing. He creates a man and a woman because here's the reality, men. We reflect a portion of God's image, but we do not reflect all of God's image. We need women to represent parts that are not natural to man. And same with you ladies. You represent a beautiful part of God's image, but not all of God's image. For that you need men. So God creates us unique so that we will uniquely represent the creativity and beauty and wonder of God. In fact, the word for mankind is the Hebrew word Adam. What does that sound like? Adam? Now that's his name, but it also means that he is the representative of all humanity. What was true for him was intended for all. Eve, you want to know what her name means? It means life. So together they represent all of human life. What God intended for them, he intended for you and me. God created us in the image of God. Now, First service, I tried to walk through something and I just didn't have enough time to do it. It was about the Garden of Eden. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to put a pause on that and we're going to come back to it in a few weeks. So in your notes, you see some overlapping circles. Hang with me. We will come back to that. Deal? Okay. 
That's for you completionists. I want to walk you through three more reasons why you were made on purpose and you are not an accident. Number one, you were made in the image of God. But number two, you were created. Did you notice? To rule. To rule. Verse 26, let us make man and woman, humanity in our image, in our likeness. And then he says, it is for a purpose that you were created. Notice this, so that they may rule. Did you know you were created to rule? You were created to have dominion, responsibility, a job, authority. And we kind of know this because so many of us, we try to grab for authority, for power, for rule. I mean, we've talked about this. We joke about this, but think about it with me. Little kids, come on. What do little kids always want? They want mine. They want more. It's, I'm going to be responsible for you. In fact, one of my favorite things to, just it makes me giggle, is when I watch little children, one of them arguing, trying to say to the others, you do what I say. Now, you do this because I'm the boss. And what do the others say? You're not the boss of me. Why? Because we all have this innate desire and this innate sense that we were created to rule, to have some sort of authority. But the problem is the world is broken, and so our way of ruling is now broken as well. But the way it was intended originally was that we were to rule over nature. We were responsible for this earth, for the animals. And there was to be this working that we were to create. Because after all, if we represent God, what did God just finish doing? Creating everything. He cultivated everything. He designed it and organized it so absolutely to be an image of God. What do we do? We design, we organize, we create, we care. We are to rule over it. Now, do you want your minds blown? Say yes, please, because I've worked on this. Say yes. Oh, thank you. I'm so glad you do. Did you know that you will rule with God, with Jesus Christ himself for eternity? Did you know that? See, some of us aren't really excited about heaven because we think heaven's going to be nothing more than sitting on fluffy clouds in a white dress, playing a harp. By the way, I don't know who you are, but harp music is cool for like about 30 seconds, then I'm done. Anyone else? You just kind of go, eh. And so because that's our image of heaven, we go, you know what? Heaven can wait. Friends, heaven is going to be the realm where you are perfectly living how you were created to live. And part of that, in 2 Timothy, we're told, we will actually reign with Jesus Christ for all of eternity. What does that mean? I don't know, but I'm excited to find out. And you're invited today to begin cultivating and working and doing things that represent this creative rulership that God gives to each of us. You are made in the image of God. You are made to rule. And number three, you are made to create and to care for creation. You were made to create and to care for creation. By the way, do you notice that if you were a mere accident, none of these things would be true. You may choose to do these things and find meaning in them by just choosing. But these are things that we are told to do by God, meaning you were created for a purpose. And here it is, to create and to care. This is verse 28. Notice what it says. I love this. So God created mankind in his image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, let me tiptoe into the Eden conversation just so you have context. Eden was this unique space where God uniquely ordered things. See, he created everything and it was good, but there's one little place in his creation that he says, now I'm gonna order it for you. I'm gonna show you how all of creation is supposed to look. So I am now putting you here in this garden and I want you 
to do elsewhere what you've seen me do here. But to do that, you got to be fruitful and multiply. By the way, what does that mean, church? Have babies, lots of babies. Husbands, can we just say amen to a good God who'd say, go have babies, make babies. And some of you are saying, hey, I want to be a biblical husband. So you say to your wife, honey, we should practice making babies because that is biblical. God said so, I don't want to disobey. You're welcome. And so he says, be fruitful and multiply. And so, so that does mean make babies, but it also means build businesses that create incomes for yourself and for others. That means to cultivate the world around you where once there were just raw materials, create something of beauty and value for others. And then there's this other little word there. Well, before I go there, I do need to say this. When it says to create, have you noticed that sometimes our world's great at creating really, really bad things? Recognize that creation must always be in service to the image that you are attempting to reflect. And if I create something, but it does not reflect God, then I'm not fulfilling the commandment here and I'm breaking my purpose. It's not that I'm morphing it. I am destroying it. I wonder if I were to evaluate the things that I'm building in my life through the words I speak, through the actions of my hands. Am I a person who's building things that represent God, the, the, the one for whom I'm a selim? Or do the things that I create represent something else? And so he says to create, and then notice this word, and take care of creation. This is actually in chapter two. He says, now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Edom, and there he placed the man he had formed. And he makes all of these beautiful trees. And in verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, that word means a couple things. First, it does mean take care of it, love on it. Friends, we are to take care of this earth. We are to steward this earth. That is not a right wing. That is not a left wing. That is not an any wing kind of ideology. It's the whole bird kind of ideology. If you're a Christian, we take care of what God gives us. And that doesn't make you a progressive. That doesn't make you this or doesn't make you that. It makes you biblical to care for what God gives to you. Mamas and daddies, you give your kids toys. You go into their bedroom. And you are pretty sure that World War III has happened somewhere in there because stuff is everywhere. What do you say to your kids? Clean it up. I remember a friend of mine whose parents said, look, if you don't clean up your stuff, I'm going to give your stuff to someone who will take care of it. My friend didn't believe their parents. Guess what their parents did? He comes into his room and it is empty. He's like, wow, this is awesome. Until he saw his parents like Santa Claus walking out to the van to take stuff to goodwill. In other words, God says, take care of what I've given you. But it's more than simply just caring for it. That word that we translate take care actually has another meaning to it. It is the Hebrew word shemer, and it can be translated take care, but it can also be translated protect. Do you understand what is under the surface of this? Why does God tell Adam, you need to protect what I've placed here? It's because God knows that we are not alone in this universe. There are dark forces. There is an enemy. His name is Satan. And his desire is to steal, kill, and destroy all that is good, holy, and just. And so he says, part of the job of taking care of what's around you is you protect what is around you. Parents, are you protecting what goes into the eyes and ears of your children? 
Are you monitoring what they look at online? Are you protecting them from things? Are you monitoring who they have around them, who gets to speak into their lives? Are you making sometimes hard life changes so that you get to decide who speaks into their life? This is what it means to protect and care for the garden that God has placed you in. You understand every one of us has our own garden and God says, you protect your garden. I was thinking about it this week with some friends who are just struggling with some situations with their kids. And one of them said something that was very heartbreaking. He said, I don't know that we paid attention to what mattered most when they were young. See, the the job of a parent and the job of any one of us is when we see an area that needs protection, we step into it. But for parents, I want to speak to you for a moment. Our job is to protect, provide, and prepare our kids for the life to come. And, And some of you, let me just speak bluntly. I'm going to make enemies today. I don't mean to, but I just need to say this to you. Sports are a gift from God, but they are not God themselves. Do you understand? And I, I don't mean to bust anyone's bubble here. Hey, do you want to guess what the statistical chance is that your kid goes pro? This, this is, look, I'm here to encourage. I just want to bless you, okay? The chance that any individual goes pro is 0.01%. And that doesn't even mean that they're, they're on a good team or that they are varsity. They get a start. 0.01% that your kid goes pro. But guess what? There's a 100% chance that your child will stand before God one day. Where are you emphasizing the focus in your house? And, and this isn't to say stop doing the fun things of sports and other stuff. Do them. Bless your kids. Have fun. But do not allow that to be your God. Protect your kids. Raise your children to be good, to love God. Raise your child to fear only God and not others. Raise your children to think for themselves. Raise them to be tough but gentle. Raise them to know what is right in a world that gets so confused. This is what it means to care for what God has given to you. See, not only were you created for a purpose, but your children were created for a purpose. And it was to know God, love him and serve him always. You're not an accident. You were made in the image of God to rule, to create and to care. And number four, final point is you were created to find life in God. You were made to find life in God. In Genesis chapter two, verse seven, it says, the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into him and the man became a living being. It wasn't until God breathed into him that he became anything more than a dust pile. It is the breath of God that creates you and me into something big and valuable. We become something more only through the power and the presence of God in our lives. Today we saw vivid images, little selums of that happen, didn't we? Uh, let, me, let, me, let me remind you what happened right over here. We saw two people say, I want to look like Jesus Christ. And life is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven by which we may be saved. That Jesus is where life is found. I may be walking, I may be moving, but how many of us know that you can move around and yet be without life? And so he says, this is where life is found. It is through the breath of God filling our lungs just as much as you and I breathe in and out. Even without thinking about it, God wants to indwell every part of our lives. In verse 16 and 17 of chapter 2, it says, And the Lord God commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden. But then he begins to say, but this has to be a love relationship where you get to choose to love me or not. So I will give you the option not to obey me. So you have the choice to obey me. He says, there's trees all around, enjoy them. But there's this one tree I don't want you to touch. 
Just leave it alone. Will you trust me enough to just obey me? And there's a very interesting statement. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they were not to eat from sat in the very center of the Garden of Eden. Why? They had to pass by all of God's other good gifts to get to the one thing he said no about. How many of us pass by the good gifts of God, the life-giving things of God, because we think life is really found in the one place where God says no. But he says that you are made on purpose, that you're not an accident, but we are to find life in God. Let me ask you this question. Why is it when God wanted to create fish that he spoke to the sea? Why is it that when God created trees, he spoke to the soil? And why is it that when God created you and me, he spoke to himself? It's because that's where the life was found for each of those. So what happens, friend, when a fish leaves the water, it dies, correct? What happens when the tree leaves the soil, it dies? What happens when you and I become disconnected from God? We die. We were made to find life in Jesus Christ because that is part of your purpose. Now, here's the sad reality. God made us to be images of him, but every one of us has fallen and sh- fallen short of his glory, meaning we are representing things other than for God. We're no longer the image bearers in the way that we live for God, but we live for ourselves or for petty things. And so God, in his great mercy, when the time is right, scripture says, he did not send another one of us to say, well, let me show you God. Instead, we're told that God himself came into three-dimensional space. He poured himself into human flesh, walked among us, the very presence of God with us. And he moved into the house next door and he said, I want you to know me personally. And if you want to know who God is, look to Jesus Christ. He is the image of God, the father. By the way, curious point, Paul was a rabbi. He would have known this so well. He said something that I find so fascinating. He says that Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. Friend, in Genesis 1:26, what does it say? Let us make man in our image. And Jesus is in the image of God, or he is the image of God. Theologians much smarter than me have pointed out this very important point. In the beginning, you and I were created to look just like Jesus. And we didn't. And we've broken it. And so Jesus comes and he looks like us. And he says, I'll fix it. He said, what does it take? It takes a confession that says, I can't do this anymore, that I'm not the one to fix this, but you are. It takes repentance. Repentance is thinking differently. But more than that, it's not simply feeling sorry. It's saying, I will choose differently. I will follow Jesus And then it is to follow Jesus in every way. And one of the very first things Jesus does is he is baptized. The first thing he does in his ministry, isn't that interesting? Baptism. And we come into the water. You remember I I said something about the dove there in verse two. Do you remember the dove hovering over the water? See, without the spirit of God, it's just water. But when the spirit of God is present, life begins to happen. God begins to order the broken things. When we go into the waters of baptism, the spirit of God meets us. And what comes out is a restoration of creation. God begins to do in you and in me what he did in the first man and woman. And he will bring it onto completion. The apostle Paul says, you will be made perfect just like Jesus when this life is over. You are not an accident. So let's live on purpose.
I'm gonna invite you to close your eyes and bow your head. In a room this size, there are so many things that bring us to this space. For some, it's, it's tradition. We just come to church every Sunday because that's what we've always done. And it's not a bad thing to do, but, but maybe there's something more. For others in here, you're here because you are ready to encounter the living God and you're just hungry to see him, to be with him and his followers. And for others in this room, you just say, I'm here because I need something. I'm just, there's that ache, the loneliness, the longing, the hurt, the pain, the decisions that have caused so much pain. Here's the beautiful thing that no matter why you are here, our God is big enough to give you the, the thing that you need. What is it that you need? Would you tell him now? Father, with every heart opened, we come to you as little broken selums inviting the presence of your spirit all the more. I pray for my brothers and sisters that you would fill each person here today, for those who've said yes to you and our followers, that you would become all the more beautiful in their mind and in their lives, that when people see them, they see the radiance of Jesus. For all of us though, Father, we recognize that we are sinners and we have broken your law, we've broken your heart, we've broken things. And in that we ask for forgiveness, but we invite Jesus, would you do a good work in us? For those this room, Father, who need salvation, we pray that you would speak to them now. Like Nuvia and Miles, may they say, yes, I'm ready. And I pray that you would encounter them today so that the good work that began in the first creation now may take place in the second creation of their salvation. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.